0: So regarding nerves, cranial nerves and spinal nerves, they are a part of the peripheral nervous system. And um, this chapter will be included also in the final, so you should expect some questions from this chapter in the final. Um, We'll start with cranial nerves. Cranial nerves are nerves that arise from the brain stem, and uh, they are mostly to innervate provide motor function and sensory function to structures of the head muscles of the head special senses and also part of the neck there are 12 pairs of cranial nerves they come from the forebrain and brain stem that's their origin and the cranial nerves they are named with numbers they are they have a name and also numbers the numbers are Roman numerals and the names usually speak about their function. Here we have a picture showing all the cranial nerves with the location. If you see some pattern here you may see that starting from the frontal forebrain, frontal lobe, we have the first cranial nerve and from there we follow this direction and we'll get all the sequence. The second cranial nerve We use roman numerals as well as numbers to name these nerves. Then the oculomotor, number three, trochlear, number four, trigeminal, number five, abducens, number six, and in the other side, we continue. There are pairs, so it's the same right and left. Facial nerve, number seven, vestibulocochlear, number eight, Glossopharyngeal number nine, vagus nerve number ten, accessory nerve number eleven, and hypoglossal number twelve. So, from a basal basal uh, aspect of the brain, if we get a brain and put it in this direction, we will be able to see all these nerves arising from the forebrain, as we say, like the first cranial nerve and the rest from the brain stem, midbrain, pons, and medulla oblongata. And as I said, they are going to provide motor function, sensory function to the structures of the head. This is a summary of all the numbers and names that we use for these cranial nerves. Here we have the numbers and the names. And in the rest of the, of the table, we see the functions of them which of them carry fibers related with motor function, fibers with sensory function, and PS stands for parasympathetic autonomic nervous system. When we studied autonomic nervous system, we saw some subcranial some nerves carry fibers of the parasympathetic, and they are listed here, like the third cranial nerve, the seventh, nine, and ten. We mentioned that in the autonomic nervous system. But as you see, the cranial nerves mostly carry mixed fibers. Some fibers of the sensory function, some fibers for the motor function, and some fibers for parasympathetic. That's what we usually say they are mixed nerves in that sense. So let's go over these cranial nerves and mention some aspects of their function, where they are located, and what other structures are related to them. The olfactory nerves, they carry sensations related with smell, olfactory sense. The origin, or the fibers, come from the nasal mucosa, the roof of the nasal cavity. In relation with the bone, the ethmoid bone, which has this marking called creviform plate which is a set of holes for nerve fibers connecting the roof of the nasal cavity to the olfactory bulb. The olfactory bulb, which is the structure that is on top of the ethmoid bone cribiform plate, and through the holes we see all these fibers coming through and receiving sensation from the nasal mucosa, and that's how we detect the smell, all the different sensations through the olfactory sense, the olfactory nerve. Now, where it ends, it goes and brings all the sensations to the primary olfactory cortex and cerebral cortex. This nerve, for instance, is just sensory. It's just sensory function. It detects. It's related with olfactory sense. Cranial nerve number two are the optic nerves. The optic nerves arise from the retina. They go through optic canal, they get to a place called the optic chiasm, and then continue to the thalamus, the thalamus, where they synapse, and then go to the occipital cortex, occipital lobe of the brain, and that's where interpretation of the images happen. We see the picture of the of, I mean, of optic nerves. The beginning of the optic nerves is in the retina. That's where they get the impression of the images. And then through the optic nerves, they will reach the thalamus and then the visual cortex. But before, there is a decusation of fibers here from right and left eye that we call optic chiasm. That allows exchange of fibers from right to left and and left to right. So we can have a vision, a broad area of uh, what we see. Third cranial nerve, oculomotor. Oculomotor because that means actually eye mover. These nerves are going to control muscles around the eyeball. We move our eyes from right to left, up and down. These are muscles that are, are connected to the eyeball. And the oculomotor is the one that controls most of these muscles, except two. that so We will see which they are. Here in the picture, we can see the oculomotor, the third cranial nerve, sending branches to many of these muscles like the medial rectus, superior rectus, levator palpebrae, inferior oblique, inferior rectus, many branches. Most of the muscles around the eyeball are controlled by the oculomotor nerve. It's a motor function basically, but it carries also some parasympathetic fibers. fourth cranial nerve is also a nerve that controls muscles of the eyeball, but only one. Only one muscle is controlled uh, through the trochlear nerve. And if we see in the picture, we see that the trochlear nerve is going to innervate one muscle called the superior oblique muscle. Then we have the trigeminal nerve. But before going to the trigeminal, let's skip to the sixth, because it's another muscle, another nerve that is going to innervate a muscle of the eyeball. And again, the only muscle that is controlled here is the lateral rectus. Here we see the abducens. The name is abducens, the number is number six. And the muscle innervated by this uh, nerve is called the lateral rectus muscle. So, abducens number six, trochlear number four, and oculomotor number three are the nerves that move all muscles of the eyeball. Okay, we skipped five, so let's go back to five. Cranial nerve number five, also known as the trigeminal nerve. The nerve is very long, very thick, and it gives three divisions, V1, V2, and V3. The V1 is called ophthalmic. The V2 is called maxillary. And the V3 is called mandibular nerve. They bring impulses from areas of the face. V1 and V2. And V3 supply motor fibers for muscles of chewing or mastication. So this is a mixed nerve that brings sensory fibers and motor fibers. V1, V2, and V3. And in this picture, we can see the details of all these branches. We have the ophthalmic division, V1, V2, and V3 all of them arising from a ganglion. A ganglion that is called trigeminal ganglion. And before the trigeminal ganglion there we have the trigeminal nerve which is very big. And it gives three branches. V1, if we follow V1 we see this part of the face. V2 is basically the maxilla, or maxillary area and the V3 goes down to Muscles of mastication and sensation of the lower teeth. The V2 is the one that brings sensation from the upper teeth. V3 sensations on the lower teeth. These are the nerves that are blocked when uh, some dental work is made. The anesthesia goes to branches of the V2 if work is done to the upper teeth, or branches of the V3 if work is done in the lower teeth. And in terms of sensation, we have these areas covered by the trigeminal, the different branches. V1, all this area of the forehead, nose, and around the eyes. The V2, all practically the face, maxillary face. And V3, all this region. Mandible and in front of the ear. That's the reason why sometimes when we have... a toothache coming from one of the upper uh, teeth, we may have referral, this pain, and all the face hurts because there are branches of this same big branch V2 maxillary. And then the same thing when we have a toothache from one of the teeth of the lower uh, group, then we may have pain in this area of the face and even around the ear because this referral from this um from these branches. So that's the fifth cranial nerve. We did the sixth. Seventh cranial nerve, also known as a facial nerve, it comes out of from the pons. And it goes in the internal acoustic meatus and comes out in the stylomastoid foramina. And it's going to innervate muscles of the face. Some of these muscles, that we studied like the um, occipitofrontalis, orbicularis oculi, orbicularis oris, zygomaticus. All these muscles are innervated by the facial nerve, but it also carries sensory function related with the taste from the anterior two thirds of the tongue. Here in this diagram, we can see. The facial nerve innervating all these muscles like the occipital frontalis, orbicularis oculi, orbicularis oris, saigomaticus. It also brings in sensations from the two anterior thirds of the tongue for taste. So it's another mixed nerve. It carries sensory fibers and motor fibers. Cranial nerve number eight of vestibulocochlear takes care of um, two senses, hearing and equilibrium. Vestibular nerve for equilibrium and cochlear nerve for hearing. Also known as the auditory nerve. And in the ear, as we see here, the ear will, it has three portions the outer ear, the middle ear, and the inner ear. When the inner ear is where this hearing organ is located, and from there we see the vestibulocochlear nerve connecting to the pons. It's very short, it carries two nerve fibers for two of the senses hearing and equilibrium Number 9 or glossopharyngeal and the name glossopharyngeal comes from glosso that relates to the tongue pharyngeal to the pharynx and this cranial nerve innervates part of the tongue and pharynx all these muscles that help in the swallowing process, they are innervated by the glossopharyngeal. And also has sensory functions. Taste from the posterior tongue, the anterior tongue, facial nerve, posterior tongue, glossopharyngeal for the taste. And as you see here, the glossopharyngeal is receiving fibers that are coming from the posterior third of the tongue for the taste, and innervated muscles of the pharynx that help for swallowing. Cranial nerve number 10, also known as the vagus. Vagus, that means wanderer, because this nerve gets out of the cranium, gets out of the head, and goes down to the thorax and abdomen and pelvis it is one of the largest nerves that we have. And it takes care, innervates organs, giving parasympathetic fibers, autonomic nervous system. Parasympathetic fibers to organs in the thorax and digestive system. And also carries sensory fibers, bringing sensation from all these organs. We have seen these graphs in the autonomic nervous system. This is just another one that shows a vagus nerve coming out from the medulla and the brain stem, and you can see all the branches getting out of the head down to the thoracic cavity, organs of the thoracic region, and organs of the abdominal region. Cranial nerve number 11 also known as accessory nerves. This accessory nerve is going to innervate two muscles because it's mainly motor function. It mainly carries motor fibers. Innervates two muscles, the trapezius and the sternocleidomastoid. And these muscles are muscles from the neck that connect to the head, of course. This this nerve arises from the medulla oblongata and the first portion of the spinal cord, and it's sending fibers to two muscles, sternocleidomastoid and trapezius muscle. (coughs) And number 12, which is known as the hypoglossal. Hypoglossal, or the word, means glossal, Glossal from tongue, hypo-under. It means under the tongue because that's how it gets into the uh, oral cavity to innervate the tongue. Muscles of the tongue. We move the tongue in different directions and that is responsible for these movements. The hypoglossal nerve. So those are the cranial nerves, 12 pairs with specific functions, motor functions, sensory functions, and uh, they are assessed in different ways as part of the neurological examination. If someone has a problem in the brain, like a stroke or tumor or anything that affects some of these nerves, some symptoms or signs will be like problems with contraction of the face, we have facial paralysis, we may have uh, problems of taste related with the facial nerve and uh, movement of the eyes are altered because of affection of one of these cranial nerves in different in different ways. Now the spinal nerves, the spinal nerves they come out of the spinal cord, and they are also mixed nerves, carrying sensory and motor fibers, and they are divided according to the segment of the spinal cord. From, the, from where they arise. Cervical nerves are from C1 to C8. Twelve thoracic nerves from T1 to T12. Five lumbar nerves from L1 to L5. And five sacral nerves from S1 to S5. Finally, only one coccygeal nerve from the coccyx. And all these spinal nerves, they arise from the spinal cord, bring in sensory fibers and motor fibers. You can see them in this graph. All these nerves arise from the different segments of the spinal cord, cervical, thoracic, lumbar nerves, sacral, and coccygeal nerve. Now, these nerves, they group, they are grouped in networks of nerves that we call plexus. Cervical nerves, they get together in a network called the cervical plexus. Some of them will get together into a brachial plexus, a network of nerves going to cervical, means the neck, brachial to the upper limb. Then we have a lumbar plexus, another network of lumbar nerves, sacral plexus, and these two are going to send nerves to the lower limb and pelvis. There are some important nerves that we will mention that they arise from one of these plexus, cervical, brachial, lumbar, or sacral. Now, if you remember the anatomy of the spinal cord, remember that there is a ventral root and the dorsal root coming out of the spinal cord and they get together to form a spinal nerve. The ventral root contains motor fibers coming from the ventral horn or anterior horn of the spinal cord. And the dorsal root contain sensory fibers. Sensory fibers that are coming from uh, the dorsal root ganglion and connecting to the spinal cord. Now, these roots, they are actually a group of rootlets, very small roots that arise from the spinal cord, get together into ventral root and dorsal root. As we see here in this diagram, dorsal and ventral rootlets are many arising from the spinal cord. But then they get together posterior and anterior, and they form the dorsal and ventral root. And then these dorsal and ventral get together into the spinal nerve. The spinal nerve right here. Now there are more connections as you see here. And those connections can be seen as, let's go and check this, we have a dorsal ramus, or dorsal branch, talking about the spinal uh, nerve. There is a ventral ramus. The dorsal ramus carry fibers that go to the back, and the ventral ramus will go anteriorly, and those are the nerves that go to the upper limbs, to the thorax, and so So the dorsal ramus, they are short, they end in the muscles of the back, but the ventral ramus can go even up to the hand or uh, foot. And besides, there are small branches called rhema communicantes. And what they do, they connect fibers to the sympathetic trunk. Because here we have the sympathetic chain, ganglia. Fibers have to go through the spinal nerve, go to the sympathetic ganglia, and from there go to different places, different organs. So the spinal nerves come out of the uh, spinal cord and get through the intervertebral foramina, these holes in between the vertebrae, and then they extend to different areas of the body. This is a description of the branches that we saw in the picture. The dorsal ramus, which is small, ventral ramus which is larger there's a meningeal branch that it's a very small branch that is located in the very initial segments of the spinal cord that goes back to the meninges in the cranium but that's only in the cervical part and the rame communicants are very small branches connections from the spinal nerve to the sympathetic chain of ganglia and they're related to the ventral ramus of the thoracic spinal nerves. There's another view of all these connections. You can see how the dorsal ramus is going to the muscles of the back, innervating the muscles of the back. And the ventral ramus will be longer. And this will go to Different parts, upper limb, lower limb, and, and the rest of the body. As an example, we see here the ventral ramus going in between muscles of the thoracic wall and abdominal wall, being the longer ones. Ramus communicantes connecting to the sympathetic trunk ganglia. Now, the spinal nerve ramus, they go and connect, as we said, dorsal ramus, posterior body trunk, ventral ramus, rest of the trunk, and limbs, upper limb and lower limb. The roots, they are medial through the spinal nerves, and the ramus, they are distal to the lateral branches of the spinal cord. The ramus are more distal. The roots are very close to the spinal cord. And as we said before, there are networks of these nerves or spinal nerves that are called nerve plexuses. There's a cervical plexus, brachial plexus, lumbar plexus, sacral plexus which are all these networks. And in these networks, we see combination of fibers from different roots. And at the end, we have specific nerves going to different parts of the body. Like, let's start seeing some of these plexus and mentioning some basic and important nerves arising from these plexus. Cervical plexus first. Cervical plexus is basically C1 to C4, these four spinal nerves, and there are four different types of loops. The most important nerve that arises from this plexus is the phrenic nerve. Phrenic nerve is important because it's going to supply motor and sensory fibers to the diaphragm, which is the main respiratory muscle. Actually, the branches, C3, C4, and C5, are the ones that supply fibers for the phrenic nerve. So if there is someone that has an accident and breaks the, the, the vertebral column and that pieces of bone, they damage the spinal cord at the level of C3, C4, or C5, that person may have problems with moving the diaphragm and therefore problems with breathing. Sometimes people having fracture of the spinal uh, or the vertebral column with damage of the spinal cord, they have respiratory paralysis. They cannot breathe because fibers of the phrenic nerve have been affected. And we can see here all these four ventral rami from the C1 to C5. And you see how they get together, they send connections, Different places, and there are a lot of nerves here. There are a lot of nerves arising from different areas of the skin and muscles. One of the most important to remember is the phrenic nerve, as we said. Phrenic nerve that goes down, and we can see it here going down to the diaphragm. C3, C4, and C5. You see, there are some fibers coming from C5, but there are other fibers coming from C4 and even some others coming from C3. So C3, C4, and C5 get together and form the phrenic nerve. That's why any any lesion of C3, C4, and C5 may affect the function of the diaphragm. The brachial plexus goes to the upper limb. It's going to take care of all the Muscles and sensations from the upper limb. And the roots of ventral ramus uh, associated with brachial plexus are from C5 to C8 and T1. Now, this is organized in different levels. There, is a, there are roots, which are the C5, C8, uh, C5 to C8 and, and T1. But then the roots will get organized into trunks, and then the trunks divides into divisions. And the divisions into cords. And the cords will finally give place to the nerves. The nerves that we know. And we have studied like last time in the lab. Like the median nerve. The ulnar nerve. Radial nerve. And so on. And Here we see how this brachial plexus is organized. We see the roots. C5 to c one, sometimes C4. But then they organize in trunks, which are three, upper, middle, and lower. And then the trunks, they divide into divisions. You see in yellow and in green, anterior and posterior division. And the divisions into cords, lateral, posterior, and medial. And then after, we see the nerves, the final nerves. Brachial plexus is something that has to be studied actually in 3D models so we can have the sense of which is anterior, which is posterior, which is a network. On the papers or pictures, it may be hard to figure the 3D configuration of this and which is anterior, which is posterior. But the most important thing is to, to know that nerves finally will get Will arise from this plexus. And those nerves are mentioned here the axillary nerve, musculocutaneous, radial nerve, medial nerve, and ulnar nerve. They are going to take care of the muscles and sensations of the upper limbs. There are other minor nerves that arise all over the place that will take care of muscles like the pectoralis major, pectoralis minor, muscles of the Uh, around the scapula, supraspinatus, infraspinatus, and all from these short nerves. Here we see in a diagram how the roots turn into trunks, the trunks into divisions, divisions into cords, and finally we have the list of peripheral nerves that will innervate muscles and sensations from the upper limb, muscular cutaneous, median nerve, ulnar nerve, radial nerve, and axillary nerve. These are the main nerves that will take care of all sensations and motor function of the upper limb. And we see the location of these nerves, median nerve, in the middle of the forearm the ulnar nerve medially the radial nerve more lateral and all these will send branches that will innervate the hand forearm anterior and posterior forearm sensations and muscles Now going lower to the lower limb and pelvis, the lumbosacral plexus, which is divided into the lumbar plexus and sacral plexus. They are going to take care of sensations and motor functions of muscles of low abdomen, pelvis, and the gluteal regions. Lumbar plexus. Lumbar plexus includes nerves from L1 to L4 and two main nerves are going to arise from here. The femoral nerve, which innervates the quadriceps muscle and the skin of the anterior thigh and medial part of the leg. And the obturator nerve that's going to innervate the adductor muscles. A doctor magnus, a doctor longus, a doctor brevis in the thigh. The diagram we see here from L1 to L4 will be the lumbar plexus, and we see the femoral nerve, which is one of the main nerves, coming from L4, some branches of L3, and some branches from L2. L2, L3, and L4 the lumbar i mean the femoral nerve and the obturator coming from L4 and L3 the other nerves will take care of the low abdomen and pelvis skin areas of the pelvis and low abdomen same thing here if there is a lesion that compromises spinal cord or one of these levels then we may see affection of the muscles of the thigh or sensations in the lower limb. Another view of this um, lumbar plexus. See the femoral nerve arising from the lumbar plexus and coming to the anterior thigh. And that's where it ends. Skin and muscles of the anterior thigh, which is the quadriceps muscle. And the sacral plexus. Sacral plexus includes L4 to S4. It's going to send nerves for the buttocks, the lower limb, pelvis, perineum, genital area. Main nerve that arises from here and goes to the lower limb is the sciatic nerve from the sacral plexus, which is a very long and very thick nerve running in the lower limb, posterior thigh, It's going to innervate muscles in the hamstrings, adductor magnus, other muscles lower in the leg. Now the sciatic nerve divides in two branches, the tibial nerve and common fibular nerve. are going to supply functions to the leg, basically. Here we see the sciatic nerve, which is all this. Clearly, there are two components here the common fibular, and the tibial nerve. They're very thick, and it goes all the way down. Uh, When we went to see the cadaver uh, some weeks ago, we had the chance to see the sciatic nerve, and it's a very thick nerve running in the posterior thigh and running all the way down to the leg. From a posterior view of the lower limb, we can see the sciatic nerve rising and going all the way down, divided in common fibular and tibial. Common fibular will turn around the knee and go anterior leg, and the tibial will keep running posterior all the way to the plantar branches of the foot. Now what about the rest of the body that are not limbs? Well, they are taken care of by T1 to T12, which are the thoracic levels. And they send spinal nerves known as intercostal nerves, the ventral ramus of these nerves. And they're going to supply sensation to this area of the trunk, intercostal muscles, and abdominal muscles. And in the back, basically dorsal ramus of many branches on all levels of the spinal cord. Dermatomes. All this information that we've been reviewing about cranial nerves, spinal nerves, they are unified and organized in the concept of dermatomes. Dermatomes, what it means is an area of the skin from dermis, derma. which are are innervated by different branches of spinal nerves. And if we make a diagram tracing lines, trying to determine which is the area of each spinal nerve, we'll end up with this picture of the dermatomes. And this is very useful because it's going to help us to understand many problems, many lesions that happen in the spinal cord or spinal nerves. For instance, if we go and check the upper limb, you see all these lines that if in these diagrams with the anatomical position, you see all these lines. But imagine putting all these images in this way, like with both arms in abduction like this and both lower limbs all in the same way. And you can easily imagine all transverse lines all over. And there is some logics. For instance, going to the brachial plexus, which we say goes from C5 to T1. In terms of sensations, so this is areas of the skin, basically for sensory functions, C5 innervates this part of the skin, of the upper limb. But then, continues to that, we have C6, and that's the one that covers sensations of the thumb. And then, right next to it, C7. That will innervate the first and second finger, and then C eight for the third. I mean the uh, the fourth and fifth finger, and the medial aspect of the upper limb. And centrally we have T two, and T one. So there's some logics in this. And neurologists are the ones that specialize in uh, problems of the nervous system. They know this very well. Like if someone comes with lack of sensation in the skin around the thumb like this, then they can tell that there's a problem with C6. And C6 can be traced back and many different lesions may uh, be the cause of these sensations. Or if there is affection of this area of the thumb and these two fingers at the same time. So that means C6 and C7 are compromised. So that's the way that these dermatomes help in the diagnosis of some problems determining the levels. Another important level is T4, for instance. T4 is at the level of the nipples. T10 is at the level of the belly button. And this is very used in anesthesia, for instance. When when good anesthesia is given, uh, the anesthesiologist tries the different parts of the skin, and it it determines what level is well anesthetized. Uh, For instance, for a pelvic surgery, T10 and below has to be completely blocked in sensations. So we can try. We, We know that the belly button is T10, so there's an important marking to determine this. And the same way for the lower limb, anteriorly and posteriorly. And in posterior, for instance, people that sometimes have this problem called sciatica, which is a problem of the sciatic nerve, a compression of one of the, one of the ramus of, the, um, of this plexus. Sometimes people come, for instance, with loss of sensation of this area of the lateral thigh. and That means L5. So that means that L5 may be compressed. This person may be having a problem in this vertebral column at the level of L5 nerve, and it's compressing that nerve. So we are able to know, depending on the symptom that the patient refers, if the patient says, well, I have this part of my foot, the plant, that is numb. Well, that's L5 also. So that means that the L5 is having a problem. And x-rays, MRIs will be directed to look for that area and that nerve which is the one that is affected. So that's the way these dermatomes help. Um, people that are specialized in these areas, they know this very well and they know when the patient comes complaining of a particular area that belongs to that nerve and they can make specific diagnosis. Especially very useful in the lower limb for people having compression of spinal nerves and sciatica or fractures of the lumbar, uh, spine, and so on. And this is the last one. Any question, any comments?